So Jesus Said Love uh, is a ministry that, how many of you, by the way, looked at your uh, neighbor and went, wait, strip clubs? Nobody? Really? Some of you did? Uh, yeah. So here's what they do. Uh, and you might have remembered this from last week. They, uh, the intent of this is to tell these people who are forgotten by our society or castaways, throw, throwaways, um, these girls who work in these places, that we love them, that Jesus loves them. Um, because he loves us, we are to love one another. Uh, what happens is this. Uh, they gather together bags of stuff that these girls would find helpful. Uh, girls take them into strip clubs while guys stay out in the parking lot praying for them. Um, these girls uh, take these bags into their dressing rooms and they hand them to them and they say, we're here because we care and we want you to know that Jesus loves you. And that's it. Uh, and the amount of the, the amazing things that have happened through this ministry, and it started in Waco and now here in San Antonio, there's something in Dallas going on as well. The amount of ministry that has happened, the amount of girls who have felt lost and cast aside by our society who have come to know the love of Jesus is amazing. Um, it is a place that you don't expect to find God. Yet there he is. When you look at where Jesus went, he went to strip clubs. Uh, so if you have any questions about it, we are the location for San Antonio to drop bags off. Uh, we have it, uh, the information on our website. Uh, is it on our website, Ryan? I know it's on the city. It's on the city for sure, the information about what uh, is in those bags. And it's simple stuff. Um, so we would love for you to be a part of that. It's a really easy way to be a part of that ministry. If you have questions, ask Ryan Jacobson, our missions guy, or myself, and I will just direct you to Ryan after the service. So... Um, we're in Exodus chapter 16, and uh, yeah, I, I have a question for you. Just going to cast it out there. We all know that you know something's gonna something's gonna get us, right? You know something's gonna get you eventually. You know what, what is it that you think is gonna get you? The, the rhythm is is gonna get you. Oh, yeah, right? There you go, Rick. There you go. The rhythm got him. The rhythm is going to get you. The rhythm is going to get you. The rhythm is going to get you. Right? Gloria Stefan made this clear to us in the Miami Sound Machine. That the rhythm would indeed eventually get us. Why? Because you can't help it. You can't help but get taken by the rhythm. There are these things in this world, songs that just get stuck in your head. How many of you are continuing to sing the rhythm is going to get you in your head right now? Okay, I'm going to one up you. I love you. You love me. We're a happy fair. Right? How many? Now, who's, who's got that in their mind? Yeah, people don't like me. It's a small world after all. It's a small world. See, there are these different songs in this world that just get stuck in your mind. It's this stuff that you, it just happens. It's just the rhythm gets you. You know, they knew what they were talking about. There is something about the repetitive nature of music that sticks with you, that just sticks with you until you plead for mercy and say, somebody, please play another song. So call me, maybe. That's kind of a modern day version of it that we hear around our house because my five-year-old son loves that song. I don't know. Um, but it's something that, that really transfers across 
other areas. When I was a kid, I was a competitive golfer, and, and, I, and I traveled around playing in golf tournaments and stuff, and, uh, and I really thought that I wanted to be on the PGA Tour. I thought, this is what I want to do. I mean, who wouldn't? You get to fly around to these beautiful locations. You get to be paid to wear clothes. Um, here's $100,000, wear this shirt. Okay. Um, and, you know, it's just a great thing. You get to be outdoors playing in these. Oh, I just love it. Uh, so I was playing in this Texoma Junior Golf Championship up in Wichita Falls, Texas. It's, a, it's every summer. Because um, where do you want to be in the summer? Wichita Falls, Texas. Uh, it's the heat of the summer. You go to Wichita Falls for this big Texoma Junior Golf Championship. Um, the year, one of the years I played there. I was in sixth or seventh grade. I can't remember which. Tom Kite uh, was the PGA professional. He's a you know good Texas boy. Comes and uh, and and is there to talk to all the kids. And he's given this little clinic for us before the tournament starts. And um, and then he stood and watched us all tee off from number one tee. That was very intimidating. But uh, he he stands there and he's talking to all of us. And he's like, you know, golf is a great sport. It's a lifelong deal. Blah blah blah. All this stuff. And and he's hitting balls because we're sitting at the range. And he's just hitting the entire time that he's speaking to us. And he said, if you really want to be a professional golfer, you got to be out at the range every day. It doesn't matter if it's raining. He goes, if it's lightning, yeah, maybe step inside. doesn't matter if it's cold. doesn't matter if it's hot. If you want to be a professional golfer, you have to be at the range every day hitting hundreds and thousands of balls. You take your wedge out and you don't put it down until you've hit 700 times. Then you take your other club out and you don't, and I'm going, there's no way I could do this. I, my mind just is so, this would bore me to tears. But his whole point for this was that it was the repetitive nature of the swing. So that when you're out in a tournament and you step up to this very intimidating shot, your body intrinsically just knows because of the repetition. It's the rhythm of the swing. You step up and you have no doubt because your body knows. It's the rhythm. It's going to get you. So what does this have to do with people leaving oppression? When the Israelites, when the Hebrew people are released from their oppression, when God uh, reaches in and he does the plagues and, and then the Pharaoh finally goes, okay, go. They leave. They cross over the Red Sea. Last week we talked about these tambourine moments um, where, where Miriam was ready to explode and just this immense joy for the promise that God kept And then they go out into the wilderness and there's no food. But what does God do? He provides. He gives them manna. Do you know what manna means? What is it? Because they look around, they're like, what is it? Manna. That's what they call it. It has nothing to do with the sermon. It's just I thought you'd want to know. So uh, in Exodus 16. Verse 21, the people gathered the food, the what is it, by morning, each family according to its need. And as the sun became hot, the food they had not picked up melted and disappeared. On the sixth day, there was twice as much as usual on the ground, four quarts for each person instead of the two. The leaders of the people came and asked Moses why this had happened. He replied, the Lord is appointed tomorrow's day of rest, the holy Sabbath to the Lord. On this day, we will rest from our normal daily tasks. So bake or boil as much as you want today. And set aside what is left for tomorrow. The next morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good without maggots or odor. Moses said, this is your food for today. For today is a Sabbath to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. Gather the food for six days. But the seventh day is a Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground for you on that day. Some of the people went out anyway to gather food, even though it was the Sabbath. But there was none to be found. 
How long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? The Lord asked Moses, do they not realize that I have given them the seventh day? The Sabbath is a day of rest. That is why I give you twice as much food on the sixth day. So there will be enough for two days on the Sabbath day. You must stay in your places. Do not pick up food from the ground on that day. So the people rested on the Sabbath, Sabbath day. This is the first occurrence of the commandment of the Sabbath. This is when God says rest on the seventh day. Now, the first time we hear about this is where Genesis chapter two. When God creates everything, the heavens and the earth, and he sits back and he's like, I'm kind of tired. It took me six days to do all that. It was a lot of work. I'm going to take a rest. He set aside the seventh day as a day of rest. Now, do we think God, all powerful, needed actually a day of rest? No. He was setting for us a rhythm of life. He was setting by his example the way in which we should live our lives. Now think about the people coming out of um, uh, Egypt. They've been oppressed for hundreds of years. They have had this way of life just thrown on them. You will be this way. You will speak this language. You will work when we say work. You will rest when we fail. Like we're ever going to say that. They operated in a 10 day work week. 10 days was their work week. They, they worshiped other gods. And so what God is doing, we've talked about this, is he is removing from them the identity that the people of Egypt placed on them. And he is reshaping and reforming them into the identity he longs for them to know. The fact that they are sons and daughters of God. And so he reshapes their work week into seven days. And he says for six days, just as I did, work. But then rest. And we're going to talk a whole lot more about the Sabbath in a few weeks. But what I want to point out here is the rhythm that God is placing on them. The rhythm of 613 laws. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. I said that uh, that they were completely oppressed and then they go into this place of just complete freedom. It would have been utter chaos, except God knew and loved them. And so he goes, let's just hone it in a little bit. If you follow these things, we'll be good. So he sets up these 613 commandments in the Old Testament. The Jews have them separated into three categories. Mishpatim are the first. These are laws governing civil disobedience and moral fabric of life, uh, you know, murder, theft, that kind of thing. Um, The uh, chukum, which are super rational principles. They are things that uh, just defy human understanding, things that God asks us to do. And we're like, why are you asking us to do this? And God's like, you don't need to know. Just do it. When you do these things, it's meaningful. Um, and then the third one is Idut. And uh, these Idut things are uh, testimonials. They are the rhythms of our life. They are the, the, the Sabbath day, celebration of the Passover, celebration of Hanukkah. If you're a Jew, Christmas, if you're, it's all the celebration things. It's the way that God has set our life so that we can understand who he, he is. It's this rhythm, this rhythm of life that God sets up. He's like, look, I understand how you work. How do I know this? I made you. Get into the rhythm of who I am, and then you will know who you are. When you begin these practices, when you begin these spiritual disciplines, a rhythm of praying every day, a rhythm of being immersed in the scripture every day, a rhythm of coming to worship every week and gathering together as the body of Christ and saying, God, we don't understand, but we worship you. A rhythm, a rhythm. What happens when you stop going to the driving range and you stop practicing your golf swing? 
suffers. Yeah, Johnny Jaffe just did this. Yeah, you start slicing. That's hooking to y'all. But you know, you just it, it, your golf swing suffers when you stop getting into the rhythm of the swing and the practice. It suffers when you be, when you stop getting into the rhythm of your relationship with God. Your relationship suffers. So often people fall into um, this because of a life circumstance. The birth of a baby is a big one. Change of a job. Um, whatever it is, something happens and you fall out of your rhythm of your relationship with God. And, and you stop coming to worship on Sunday. And, and you miss one week. And, and then you're like, oh, well, it's just one week. And then you miss another and another and another. And before you know it, the rhythm you have with God is, is completely gone and you're dancing to another rhythm. You're moving to the rhythm of the world. It's so easy to fall out of the rhythm of God. That's why he put these disciplines and these practices and this, this work week where we work for six days and then we rest. There is such a great benefit to this. Such a great benefit. There is um, a, a reason why he said, gather together and worship. Pray together and pray alone. Study my words. These things that help us, these repetitive things that help us understand who he is and then consequently understand who we are. If we follow the rhythm of God. Scott Harris spent this summer in, um, in Jerusalem. Scott's the pastor up at Riverside. He and his family were over there this entire summer and um, they lived in kind of an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood. And um, on the Sabbath... As you just read, they don't cook food, but they've created through technology these ways in which to, uh, to do things. There's these timers that you set before the Sabbath starts because you can't set them when the Sabbath is going because that's doing work. So you set these, uh, these timers to go and to boil so that you can cook your food and then it'll automatically go off. Scott and Kathy uh, had a babysitter uh, one day, and so they're going out on a walk during the Sabbath because there's no one around, and everybody's inside. It's the Sabbath, you know, and uh, it's quiet, and they're just having this great walk. And they come upon this Orthodox Jew who's standing in um, the middle of the sidewalk, and he starts, you know, waving them down. And Scott's Hebrew is very good compared to mine, but not to an Orthodox Jew. And this Jew is like yelling at him in Hebrew. And Scott's trying to very politely yell back at him in Texan, you know, and um, in, in Hebrew and whatever. And he finally, through hand motions, everything, he's like, please come into my home. And Scott's like, this could go bad quickly. Um, but then as Scott, if, if you know Scott, he's really tall and he's like, I think I can take this guy. So he and Kathy go to this guy's home and his whole family is there and they're all like so happy to see this guy. And they're, and they eventually figure out that they're pointing to the stove, that the guy forgot to turn the timer on and there is the flame there and it's just boiling. It has been boiling for who knows how long. And Scott goes, Oh, you want me to turn the stove off? Sure. Click. There you go. And they're like, thank you. But if you think about this, if you think about how into the Sabbath that guy and that family was, that not even the chance of burning their house down, although that is a Sabbath law of life is in danger, you can do something. But he didn't do it. 
He stood out for who knows how long trying to get a goyim, trying to get um, a, 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 a Gentile to come in and like, hey, you don't follow the Sabbath. Come on in. Can you imagine if we began to live our lives holding to the rhythm of God so closely? What would that do to our relationship with him? If we made it such a priority that we had to put other things aside so that we could be in the rhythm of God. One of the things that David has challenged the pastors recently and subsequently all of us is to take a day away from our jobs. Look, we live in a world in which you can be communicated with at all times. Emails, phone calls, text messages. It is hard to go away. Many of us on our days off still return emails. Many of us on our vacations still check emails. Many of us never separate ourselves truly for any length of time from our jobs. One of the things that David has said is that you need to set a time away so that you break from this. The Sabbath, this day of rest, is intended for us to fall into a presence with God that we don't get to when we're hustling about. And so he says, if somebody called, if somebody's dying and it's your day that you're cut off, they're dying. When Lazarus died, Jesus didn't rush over there. Jesus took his time. He's dead. I'll get there when I get there. This is what I need to be doing now. Now, the rhythm of God, the rhythm, the way that he set our life to interact with his is integral to our relationship with him. So the rhythm's going to get you. But is it going to be the rhythm of the world? It's going to be the rhythm of God. In the coming weeks, as I said, we will talk more about the Sabbath and some of these other other things. But I think what you can take from today is to know the importance. To know the importance of these sometimes ancient practices. That it's not just something you do on Sunday. That it's not just something you do to get quiet and to pray with God. That that taking time away and actually being quiet and disconnected from the world is hugely important. The rhythm is going to get you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the rhythm that you have given us. For the rhythm of life. The sun rises, the sun sets, the seasons, what they are, come and they go. We know that there is a rhythm in this world that you began at the creation of time. We know that there is a rhythm to our relationship with you through prayer, through study, through fellowship, community, through sacrifice, fasting, through worship, through festival. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for that rhythm that you have given all of us to interact with you. 
so that we may know who you are and subsequently who we are. Help us, Father, to move into that rhythm. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.